1: Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode on bipolar disorder. This information today comes from a conversation I had with another clinician who is all the way in Canada and it covers a lot of frequently asked questions with bipolar disorder. We are going to go through what is bipolar, what are the signs and symptoms and what you can do if you do have bipolar or you are supporting a loved one with bipolar. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to reach out on TikTok or Instagram if you have any questions or any recommendations for upcoming episodes. See you soon. So bipolar disorder is under a category of its own in the DSM-5. So I'm not sure if you're familiar. I know over there you might use the ICD-10 or another category, but this is a book that we use. Uh, I'm not sure people will be able to see it because it's a podcast, but it's called The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And Bipolar has a, it has its own category and it comes between depressive disorders and schizophrenia spectrum disorders. And essentially bipolar is a mood disorder and it includes bipolar one, bipolar two, cyclothymia, and a couple of other categories, which we can go into later. But essentially the word bipolar, it reflects fluctuations between extreme highs and extreme lows. The common symptoms with bipolar, so just to separate them. There's bipolar one and there's bipolar two. Now, bipolar one is when you experience manic episodes and bipolar two is when you have what's called hypomanic episodes, which is a kind of less elevated form of mania. So mania is expansive mood. So If you are someone who experiences moods where you feel very elevated, very expansive, very energized, you have a decreased need for sleep, you feel super talkative, you may actually feel irritable, you may be experiencing elevated mood. And in extreme cases, it could be mania. And in less uh, intense circumstances, it could be hypermania. Now, the difference between, I guess, a regular mood swing and having a condition such as bipolar is the level of impairment that the moods have on your functioning. So we all experience highs, we all experience lows, but if your moods are interfering with your social life, your work life, your day-to-day functioning, and it's persistent and enduring, that's when it may be bipolar. In addition to that, bipolar is heavily genetically influenced and it is a a brain imbalance. And for that reason, the moods aren't always triggered by something external. Whereas if you're someone who experiences up and down moods, it may be due to a stressful life event and it could be due to something happening at work today. Whereas bipolar, the moods can be quite random, not to say they're not triggered by stressful life events or stressful life events have an influence, but more so than not, it is more pervasive, It's less accounted for for external events, and it has a much higher level of impairment on your day-to-day life than, say, regular mood swings that people may experience. And just to clarify, with bipolar 1, you may or may not have major depressive disorder. So essentially, bipolar in bipolar 1 is mania, and you may have major depressive episodes as well, which I'll go into. Bipolar 2 You have major depressive episodes and you have hypomania as well. So just to clarify, a major depressive episode, known as a major depressive disorder, is low mood for a minimum of two weeks. And in this low mood, we see fatigue, we see people struggling to wake up, we see changes in weight. Some people may gain weight, some people may lose weight, just depending on your coping Mechanism: Some people overeat, some people undereat. We see more suicidal ideation, so thoughts around not wanting to be here, thoughts around worthlessness, hopelessness, uh, yeah, fatigue, and just that really low mood. And this needs to occur for a minimum of two weeks. And the other key characteristic is a loss of interest in activities you used to previously enjoy. So, for example, if you enjoyed reading and you're not finding that enjoyment anymore. That's actually called anhedonia when you lose interest in something you used to enjoy. So that's a major depressive disorder or a major depressive episode. And that occurs in bipolar two and it may occur in bipolar one, but not necessarily. Now, when we talk about the highs, mania is the most severe Elevated mood and people like to think of hypomania as a more mild version. Now, mania lasts a minimum, we'd say seven days, and it can go on for longer than that as well. But mania tends to be longer, whereas hypomania tends to be a minimum of four days and is less, I guess, enduring in nature. And the reason we call it a more mild version is because when someone has hypomania, it seems more just uncharacteristic of the person. It seems like they've had too much caffeine. They're a bit more energetic than usual, perhaps a little bit more creative or um, on the go. Whereas someone with mania, they may actually experience hallucinations at the extreme end, delusions, and more often than not need to be hospitalized because they can engage in dangerous and reckless behavior, which yeah can ultimately put them at risk it's such an interesting topic because there's a lot of different theories. Is it caused by stress? Is it caused by genetics? And essentially they've found what is called the vulnerability stress model. This is what a lot of, I guess, uh, theorists and research look at. And basically, the theory is there are genes which make you more vulnerable to developing bipolar or make you more vulnerable to how you handle stress. We do know that there is a high genetic component. So if you do have uh, relatives who have bipolar, there is definitely a genetic vulnerability that is inherited. And then we have the kind of more brain biology and You may have a predisposition to have some abnormal functioning of your brain circuits, your dopamine, serotonin is a little bit, um, I guess, different to someone without bipolar. And then the theory is that there are personality attributes that make you more vulnerable to stress and how you handle stress. And I guess the theory is the combination of genetic predisposition and environmental stresses, such as being sleep deprived, um, having adverse living conditions, can make you more vulnerable to developing bipolar. And more often than not, people can have this genetic predisposition and it can lay dormant and not be activated until a stressful life event occurs. And this is why the onset of bipolar is usually 18 to 20 years old. It's something we we see later in life. Yes, it can be diagnosed in children. However, we see bipolar 1 and 2 confirmed in people's uh later teenage years. And one important thing I will say is people usually get a diagnosis eight to 10 years after their first episode. So it it does get, it gets very misdiagnosed and missed quite frequently. The reason bipolar usually gets missed or misdiagnosed is because people typically present to therapy in the depressed phase, when when people are experiencing hypermania, they're feeling quite good. They're more productive. They don't need to sleep. They're quite uh, energetic. So they're not likely to present to therapy and say, "Hey, I feel really good. What is happening here?" That's in hypermania. So when people come to therapy, they are usually in the depressive episode, or they're in major depressive disorder a major depressive disorder it is a diagnosis in itself you know it's low mood for a minimum of two weeks so when someone goes to therapy in this depressive mood they're likely to be given a diagnosis of depression and whilst that is true a lot of clinicians perhaps will overlook screening for mania or hypermanic symptoms and sometimes people can have hypermanic symptoms and not even be aware that it is it is hypermania because I think you know we all have a lot of caffeine and we all have different situations where we feel more energetic. But I guess what leads people to recognize that hey, I don't think this is just depression, is when they're put on antidepressants, they get worse, and that's a key indicator of bipolar. If you try to medicate bipolar with antidepressants alone it leads to cycling. So the person's mood is actually going to get worse. And I think it's very individual as well because everyone responds to medication differently. But I think if you've been having your medication for a few weeks, and, yes, antidepressants can take quite a while to work, but if you are feeling worse, more suicidal thoughts, your mood is getting more, I guess, severe, you're getting more depressed, that's when I guess you really want to speak to a psychiatrist or a doctor about the medication and the possibility of considering, is this the right diagnosis for me? Because generally with antidepressants, they can take time to adjust, but we don't see people getting severely worse essentially, but everyone is different. The medication and treatment plan for bipolar is the most evidence-based, I guess, treatment plan is a combination of therapy and medication and as mentioned earlier they don't they won't just prescribe antidepressants usually mood stabilizers are the first line of medication and antipsychotics are also being used as well there's also anti anxiety agents But if you're going to use an antidepressant, it has to be with a mood stabilizer. And I just want to put out there that I'm not a doctor or psychiatrist, but this is what the research suggests. But people find different uh, medication useful. So it really is a trial and error consistently monitoring what is working for you and medication compliance. That is a significant factor. What sometimes happens is... There's a lot of, I guess, shame or embarrassment or denial that, and stigma that people have with bipolar. And when they are feeling better, they may deny the need for medication or say, you know what, I think I'm feeling better. I won't take it. But it's a brain-based condition. It's not, I guess, a medication you can choose. Like Your brain is not making the chemicals in the way that it should. So medication helps to correct that. And then we use therapy to... Create awareness around triggers. What may trigger a manic or hypermanic episode? How can we manage those triggers? So therapy is really about prevention. It's about early intervention. And if you are in that phase, how can we keep you safe? Whether you're in a depressive phase or a mania or a hypermanic episode, how how can we keep you safe? How can we minimize the risk? especially with bipolar 2. I'd like to point out that bipolar 2 was often thought of as a less severe form of bipolar, but the depressive episodes are very debilitating for people and they're significantly impairing. People struggle to go to work. People struggle to do their day-to-day life. And there is very high suicidal ideation and a Lifetime risk of suicide, 25 to 50% of people with the major depressive yeah episodes in bipolar too. So I, I definitely want to say it's not a less severe form because whilst the hypermania may not be as severe as mania, they get it on the depressive episodes. I think the key difference is, let's just say both disorders have major depressive episodes, which is more common. There's not a lot or the statistics are smaller for people who just have mania and no depression. So let's say they both have major depressive episodes. The the differentiating factor would be how debilitating the depressive episode is and how often it happens. What we see in bipolar two is they experience many more depressive episodes in a given a year or time frame than bipolar one. Then we would look at the elevated mood. How severe is it? With mania, we tend to have three phases. So we've got the prodromal phase, which is feeling a bit giddy, feeling a bit alert, feeling a bit more energized, also known as hypermania. And then if that progresses to the active phase, mania, it is a loss of time, they may need to be hospitalized reckless driving, excessive spending, um, you know, sexual activity that may be promiscuous in nature. And then they have this recovery phase. So after hospitalization, if they are hospitalized, they need time to recover. Whereas if their elevated mood is more adaptive, it's more functional. They're able to go to work. They're able to do their day to day, but they're not experiencing delusions, which are, fixed false beliefs about the world, they're not having hallucinations, they aren't necessarily engaging in reckless and dangerous behavior, then it would more likely be bipolar too. So I think the intensity of the elevated mood is a key factor and then the intensity of the depressive moods as well. To be honest, I'm not up to date with the latest, latest, latest (laughs) research, but the diagnostic criteria has Change so they used to kind of just be bipolar one, bipolar two, and now you know there's cyclothymia, and then there's bipolar, not otherwise specified, which kind of captures people who may be in the early phases or children. But the research is essentially showing that types of therapy are more useful, so they've found family integration. Therapy, that's not the specific name, but therapy which integrates family members, educates them, gets them on board with people's early symptoms, is getting a lot more recognition and I guess appreciation because it isn't a disorder that someone, you know, can effectively always manage on their own. They need those around them to kind of mirror to them hey, are you okay? I'm noticing this. So, for example, if you know about bipolar and if your family member knows about it, if you come up with a business idea overnight and all of a sudden you're going to start this business, they may be like, hey, is this mania? This doesn't sound right. Um, they can help you notice the early signs because the, the key with bipolar treatment, just going back to your treatment question is medication and therapy is about early recognition of the signs and having those around you support you through that as well. It's difficult on both ends. I think it's challenging for family members because there may be a lot of uh, guilt or I didn't recognize the signs. How did I not know this? But then at the same time, there's likely to be a conflict between, is this a manic episode? Is this hypermania or are they just excited? Is this something that they really want to do? Which is what the person with bipolar will will say, you know, why can't I just have, you know, regular moods, like regular people? So it's about discerning, is this you know, a regular mood swing that people have, or is it I guess a more intense depressive episode or mania or hypermanic episode? And I think there also is challenges in relationships because if someone is elevated or manic, they may engage in reckless behavior. They may, you know, cheat on their partners, spend a lot of money, reckless driving, and that can put people at risk and it can put relationships at risk and cause a lot of, yeah, a lot of difficulty within the family. Uh, to be honest, I haven't worked with families more that much. Uh, but I guess I'm, I'm curious to know from you, Bob, what do you see from, from families and the impacts? If anyone is listening to this and thinking, Oh gosh, do I have bipolar? How do I know? What do I do? The best thing you can, (laughs) the best thing you can start to do is track your mood. And this is something we do in therapy as well. It's called a mood chart and tracking your moods because a lot of people come to me and say, how do I know if it's, it's this, how do I know if it's borderline, how do I know if it's bipolar? And the first recommendation will be track your mood. So at least when you go to a psychologist or you go to a doctor, that's the first thing they're going to ask you to do, but at least you go in there with some data. So if you're in your early stages, you're considering whether this might be a diagnosis, start to track your mood. So how you're feeling when you're feeling expansive, you can rate it on a scale of one to 10, but that's the first, I guess, recommendation or suggestion if you are listening to this. But general, I guess, question, um, sort of to go into your next part of the question, this might tie in with what therapy would look like. There's a lot of self-management strategies that people can do to manage the disorder well. And I always think of mental health management because I think whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, it's... Not about waking up and magically not having it anymore. Anxiety is is normal. We are meant to experience it. It's about how do we manage it effectively. And what they've found is those who do best with bipolar are the ones who recognize triggers, mood cycles, and minimize the impact of these triggers. They stay close to their medication. Uh, regimens. They have good relationships with their clinicians and they have regular therapy and they learn as much as they can about it. So if anyone's listening to this, do a lot of research, do your reading, see if you resonate with anything you see and you can, and make an appointment to speak to a professional because it is definitely manageable and people can have a rewarding and fulfilling life with bipolar disorder. There is a great book, it's called, this is an audio book. I'm a massive fan of audio books because I just find I struggle to listen to, sorry, I struggle to sit down and concentrate on a book. So there's a great audio book called The Bipolar Disorder Survival Guide, What You and Your Family Need to Know, and it's by David J. Miklowitz. And it has some great resources in there. And we can link it to the show notes if you like. But there's a lot of people on social media as well. On TikTok, they're talking about it. And I think TikTok is great for social. uh, TikTok is great for mental health awareness. But I wouldn't say, you know, don't self-diagnose from TikTok. But it can be useful to hear other people's stories about it. Talking about it with others allows others to recognize warning signs and intervene and help people with bipolar. So I think it can be really effective letting people around you know, perhaps a workplace or – and that's that's a tricky one as well because, you know, a lot of workplaces are open to mental health and willing, yet other people feel their workplace may not be so supportive. But, yes, if you can speak to others around you because treatment is psychosocial. It does include the psychology, the medication, the social – it can help people a lot manage the condition. And I just want to point out as well that women need to be recognized independently of men as well, because there are a lot of implications. So for example, women need to monitor their moods, especially around their cycle, because there is another disorder called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which can look like bipolar and also women need to be mindful around medication during pregnancies because there are adverse side effects of medication and some need to be monitored very carefully around that pregnancy period or postpartum or menopause. So I do want to let women know that it is important to be mindful of these other factors, hormonal imbalances as well when it comes to bipolar disorder. Some self-management strategies that you can use if you are struggling with bipolar, include your sleep and wake cycles are super important. Trying to have a routine with your sleep because they've found risk factors to a a manic episode include sleep deprivation, stress, drug and alcohol use. And if you can manage those three things, then you're less likely to have an episode. So having enough sleep waking up at the same time if you can, trying to incorporate a healthy diet, a balanced diet as well. We want people to have consistency with medication if they are on medication, regular therapy as well, talking about what's going on and all the other factors, exercise, breathing, trying to regulate your nervous system. And I guess just taking an approach that you're learning about yourself and you are unique, and this is your journey. So, treating your condition from a place of curiosity and kindness, learning about yourself. You know, you are a person who has this condition. You are not the condition, essentially. The type of therapy for bipolar may vary because, essentially, cognitive behavior therapy is great because what it can do is a lot of cognitive restructuring. So, when we want to do therapy is in the depressive phase of treatment. Because if someone comes to therapy and they're manic or hypermanic, they're probably not going to take a lot in. So you want to intervene in the depressive episodes. And depression, we know, responds really well to cognitive behavioral therapy in most cases. So for those who don't know, cognitive behavioral therapy is the theory that your thoughts control how you feel. So if we can control and manage our thoughts We can essentially control how we feel. And when we control how we feel, we can then control our behavior and actions. However, people with bipolar may have comorbidities. They may have a comorbid traumatic disorder, such as PTSD. They may have a comorbid ADHD. They've found that 60 to 70% of people with bipolar also have ADHD, which is a uh, neurodevelopmental disorder, which requires a whole different uh, type of of therapy and medication. So the point is, depending on your unique circumstances, that will depend on your therapy. If you have gone through trauma, I definitely recommend seeing a therapist who has a trauma-informed approach or experience in working with bipolar or if it is trauma EMDR which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing so which therapy is for you i guess it depends on whether you have comorbid conditions comorbidity means more than one disorder occurring at the same time and finding someone who i guess we're not allowed to say the word specializes in psychology unless you've done a you know specific training but finds find a therapist who has experience in that area, I think is a really fantastic start because not therapy is not a one size fits all. The important thing to know is regardless of what you're going through, whether it's bipolar disorder or a different mental health condition is that it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're any less than or you're incompetent. Of course, life is going to be challenging, but I do want people to know that they can live a fulfilling and enjoyable life, but it does take time to find that right strategy or that right therapist. So don't give up, have faith that you can get through it and you can manage it effectively because there are many people and many artists, especially, you know, Ernest Hemingway, Vincent Van Gogh, who have had bipolar. And I think, yeah, it does have, you know, it's out there and not to be ashamed of it if you do have it or you're experiencing it. For anyone listening, you can find me on social media. My name is Mind for the Mind Food Steph. So Mind Food Steph, and that is on Instagram, TikTok as well. TikTok is very psychology related. I do a lot of videos there. So come on over, ask a question, say hi, and I would love to connect uh, with you all. So see you soon. Bye.